Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Emmaus Road Fellowship, where we encounter Yeshua in the scriptures. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org, where you'll find additional teachings and information on visiting us in Kingwood, Texas. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving to support Emmaus Road's mission of spreading the good news of the kingdom. May God grant you shalom in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. All right, so this week we come into our portion Toldot, and it is beginning the story of the life of Jacob. So we've gone through the story of Abraham and then quickly jumped uh, over Isaac. Well, not completely jumped over Isaac. He's, he's been in, in here, but not as, there's not as much focus on Isaac as on Abraham. And now coming into the story of Jacob, we get three weeks that encompass his birth on through his time with Laban and then his time coming back to the land. And earlier this week before I even began to read the portion, I felt like the, the topic or the theme, I guess, that was running around in my mind, my spirit, was the idea of becoming. And I didn't exactly know what I was thinking on in that, but some of the aspect of the idea of who we are today isn't who we will be at some point down the road. Who we are today isn't who we were years ago. So we're always on this path of growth and uh, growing in maturity, growing in relationship, and really being transformed by the Spirit into who God has created us and called us to be. And so when we come into this week's story, we come into a story about Jacob and Esau. And in this week's portion, we, we have some real challenges that come up, right? Because this week we talk about the deception where Isaac goes in, excuse me, when Jacob goes in before his father and presents himself as Esau and gets a blessing. And I've heard people describe this as being a really prickly point because there's so many takes on what was really happening. Did did Jacob really lie? Did he really deceive his father? What was going on? Was it okay that he deceived his father? You know, was the, uh, was the end worth the means, right? Um, was it okay to lie in order to get the blessing because God wanted him to have the blessing? Different things like that. And even questions of, well, what about Isaac? Why was he going to give Esau a blessing when Jacob was the one who was chosen. You know, how come Isaac didn't have the spiritual eyes to see? And so there become a, a lot of questions. And, you know, Jacob is traditionally known as the man of truth. It's like the man of truth. But he's, isn't he Jacob? Isn't he the heel grasper, the supplanter, the deceiver? Isn't he the one who tricked his dad to get the blessing? How can he be the man of truth? Right? So there's all kinds of things that we might wrestle with in, in this portion. And I think ultimately what it is, 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 is it isn't who Jacob started out as, but who he became. And what he wrestled with to overcome. Right? And overcoming his name in order to take on a new name. Right? And that new name was really his identity. The name of Jacob was who he started out as, but he became Israel, right? 
And so, but there was a real battle and there was a real path that he had to walk on. And as I thought about that, you know, we've just, we went through talking about the story of Abraham and how he went through 10 trials and how he was found faithful and God credited his faith, his righteousness to him. And sometimes we, we read the story of Abraham and we, we talk about, well, Abraham was just a man of faith, you know, and from the beginning all the way through, right? But Abraham also had a life of growth. He had a path that he had to walk on to become the man God had called him to be. And Isaac did as well. You look through all the stories that we can read in the Old Testament, you see David. He had trials and difficulties. He had failures. But he was a man after God's own heart, right? And so there become questions of, well, how do we see the people of the Old Testament? How do we see the people around us? And how do we see ourselves, right? Do we look at the past? Do we look at some of the failings or the, uh, I guess, the shortcomings? Or do we look forward and beyond those to who people can become and what they can overcome? And when I thought about that, I thought about Yeshua, and that's what, that's what he always did, right? He sat with the sinners, and he called them forth out of unfaithfulness to God and called them to become faithful and to go and to sin no more, to turn from their ways. And he said, no, I know where you've been, but I know where you're called to be, and I'm going to help you find that path, right? So he called them forth to what their destiny was. And so with Jacob... I think that what we see over the next three weeks is Jacob going from the place of being the supplanter to the place of being the one who is driven with man and is driven with God and who has overcome. And usually when I uh, go through and talk about the week, uh, I try to stay within one portion, but, but we'll probably end up kind of going across the whole story in this week's message because I think that something two weeks from now is really key to understanding what was going on and kind of encapsulating the story of Jacob's becoming. So let's see if we can walk through this together. Let's go to Genesis 25, verse 19, right where our portion begins. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of, of Paran Aram the sister of Laban the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah his wife conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger." When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful, skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. All right, so this is the intro to the story. And within this, there's, there's a lot that we, uh, we may unpack, we may not. I'm not sure. But 
We're going to find our way through this week's portion. <laughs> okay, so a couple of things. What do we know about Jacob and Esau? You know, um, we know that Esau came out and he was, uh, he was hairy and red. And he was given the name Esau, which is, means completed or fully developed. Okay, so he came out fully developed. And then Jacob came after holding his heel. And one of the questions to ask here is, <coughs> Jacob and Esau were twins, right? So were they identical or were they fraternal? Does anybody know? So the, the common thought is they were fraternal, right? Because Esau comes out and he's hairy and red, and Jacob comes out and he's not fully developed. But actually, they were identical. Okay, so they were identical twins. But how could they be identical if they look different? Well, there's a few things within the text that suggest what was going on. For one thing, they were agitating within each other. They were fighting. They were struggling with one another when they were in the womb. If they are in a different sack, they aren't aware of each other. If they're in the same sack, they are aware of each other. Okay? The other thing is that if they're in two different sacks, there's two placentas feeding them. But if they're in one, there's one placenta and there's limited resources. So one can thrive while the other does not thrive. And so we come into the aspect of we actually have identical twins. But when they were in the womb, they were struggling with one another. They were agitated with one another. And Esau was prevailing. And he came out first, but Jacob was holding the heel, right? So even in the birth, there was a struggle of who's going to come first, who's going to win. And so that kind of sets the scene for the whole life of Jacob and Esau, where there is this struggle. And even when we look at, this, at the word that uh, Rebecca receives about them, the scripture says, two nations are in your womb, two regimes from your inside shall be separated. The might shall pass from one regime to the other, right? So, the might, so this is talking about there's going to be ups and downs between them. And it says, the older shall serve the younger. The interesting thing though is the Hebrew doesn't actually say the older will serve the younger. It said the greater will serve the lesser. Or it might say the lesser shall serve the greater. It could be read both ways. Interesting. And so then you think about that's actually the passing back and forth, the challenge between the two. And it was beginning there in the womb and then it would go forward. Now, that kind of sets the scene for some of the things that we'll, we'll move into. Um, but Rebecca knows that there are these two she has twins in her womb. They will struggle with one another. One, one regime will be up, the other one down, and it will change through time. So when, when they come out, Esau comes out, and the scripture says, one emerged red, entirely like a hairy mantle. And, and so what we see here is, it says here in this verse, verse 25, so they called his name Esau. And that's what the scripture says, says they, they named him Esau. And after this, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Now, here it doesn't say they called him Jacob. The scripture says he called his name Jacob. So they together, Rebekah and Isaac, called Esau Esau. But only Isaac called the second one Jacob. Rebecca did not. So that's interesting. So why? Okay, so then we have to be like, okay, well, what's going on here? Why didn't they together call him Jacob? And I, I think there's an aspect where 
Rebecca didn't want to call him supplanter or the heel because she saw something else in him that he would become, right? So now the scene is set where you're called Jacob. You're called the heel, the one who grasps the heel, potentially the supplanter, perhaps the deceiver. Is that who you are? Is that your identity? Or is that something that you are to overcome and move into what your true identity is? So that begins Jacob's wrestle with the name, okay? Um, so, so Rebecca did not call him Jacob, but Isaac did. Now, here in these verses, what we, we read a few things. Esau was one who knew trapping or hunting. He was a man of the field. But Jacob, the scripture says, he was a quiet man. Now, the interesting thing is, if we were to read this up here on the screen behind you, it says Jacob was a quiet man. Now, it says he was Tom. Okay, Tom, T-A-M. It's not T-A-M. It's Tav Mem, okay? But it's, uh, it's, its primary meaning is perfect or complete. And as opposed to quiet. So why is it quiet? Well, there's, there's various, various aspects about that. The Septuagint actually uses a, a Greek word that would imply quiet or simple-hearted, something along those lines. But Tom, why, you know, if it's used in other ways, if we were to look at Noah, when the scripture says that Noah was a, a, a righteous man, or he, he was perfect in his generations, from Genesis 6-9, it says he was tamim, okay? When God comes and talks to Abraham in Genesis 17:1, he says, walk before me and be perfect. Walk before me and be tamim. Okay, so there's these aspects where Noah was walking with God in righteousness. And was he perfect? No, he wasn't perfect. But there was some aspect of, of wholeness in how he was interacting with God and how he was to walk. And then Abraham was called to be perfect, to walk in wholeness with God. And so... Another translation could be Jacob was a wholesome man, abiding in tents. And the aspect of abiding in tents is thought to be one who was uh, going along the lines of study. You know, he was studying the Torah as opposed to being out about hunting is one of the traditions with that. But additionally, who was it who dwelled in tents, right? We talked about this a few weeks ago. When Abraham came into the land, he would make altars which were permanent unto God, but he would, he would pitch his tent. He wasn't making a permanent place for himself. He was going where God had called him to go, right? But he was seeking to make God's name great. And then Isaac, even in this week's portion, interestingly enough, we're not going to go into this in great detail, but when the famine came and Isaac went down into Gerar, God said, go down there and sojourn. And Isaac goes and he actually dwells. He didn't just go and sojourn. He actually began to dwell in the land and he planted and prospered, and then he had contention over wells, and he had, he, had, he contended, he dug, he redug two wells Abraham had dug, and the people contended with him for those wells, the people of Gerar, and said, no, 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 those aren't yours, because there was an aspect of him claiming ownership of the land at that point when you're actually dwelling in a permanent style and digging wells, there's actually a implicit claim of land, so then he picks up and he moves on from there. And he begins to dwell in tents, and he digs a third well, and there's no problem with it. So there's an aspect of, of Isaac and Abraham living in tents, and now here's Jacob living in tents. 
he's actually connecting with Isaac and Abraham. Okay, so, so he's wholesome. He's this word tom, which has within it perfect or complete. And so he's, so it's like, how come the scripture can say he's perfect or complete if he's still about to walk in deception? You know, how does that work? I don't know if I have all the answers in that, but I think it's the aspect, I think it's the aspect of becoming, in fact. So when I saw this and I said, okay, well, the scripture says he's Tom, and then it says Noah's Tamim and Abraham Tamim. Well, what's the difference between Tom and Tamim? You know, they're both perfect and complete, but one is in a plural form and the other is not. So what is this? So I went and actually, I looked it up and there, there is uh, some reasoning within this in the Zohar. It's, I'm not really going to go into depth with it, but one of the things that they talk about is that Tom has within it the letters Tav and Mem. And if you were at, to add Aleph to that, you can arrange the letters such that it spells Emmet, which is truth. Okay, so if he's Tom, he's lacking one thing, which is the Aleph, to come and combine with the Tom to become truth. Okay, so that's an interesting, fascinating aspect. Um, but, you know, it's, a, it's a, a wholeness that needs further perfection with this Aleph to become truth. And what's the Aleph, right? It's the first letter of the Aleph Bait. It is, uh, some see it as a three and one, right? Because you have a Vav and two Yods that comprise it. I don't have it on the screen. It'd be really nice if I did. But it's, it's also a picture of the strong and the foremost, um, a strong leader, right? And so you think about it representing the head, Yeshua, and rep representing God. And so he needs this completion of really the Lord moving within him. Okay, so, so that's kind of a little background on, on where Esau and Jacob start. Now, Jacob, right? So I'm talking about his name meaning potentially supplanter or deceiver or one who's not necessarily straight because uh, a heel is crooked, right? So it's describing something, you know, like the word uh, Yashar is straight, um, that represents a, the righteous or the just. And, um, but with heel, that's something that's not straight. It's crooked. So now, if he is given this name, Rebecca doesn't like that name. She wants him to have a different name. And she wants him to be blessed. She loves him. So now we come forward to the time when Isaac tells his son Esau to go out and hunt for him and bring back a meal so that he can bless him. And Rebecca says, hey, Isaac, or I mean, uh, Jacob, I got the names all wrong today. <laughs> hey, I should take notes on who these people are. But she says, Jacob, go get some goats. I'm going to prepare this and you're going to go in so that you can be blessed. Okay. And we look at this and this is the intro into the deception. So if she doesn't want him to be a deceiver, why would she be setting up the scene for him to walk in and be a deceiver? This, hmm. Okay, so I don't think she was setting this up for him to go and be a deceiver. And this is, uh, this is a fascinating um, teaching that I heard. I, I heard it in the past, but this year it just became much more clear, I guess, of all these different components working. But I originally heard this from uh, Rabbi Foreman, and I don't know if it 
originated with him or if it's uh, from the sages passed down. But we're going to talk a little bit about how this comes about. All right. Now, so let's go ahead and let's read the story. And then we'll, we'll talk about what was happening here. So let's go to Genesis 27. And I'll, I may stop here along the way and not read all of 1 through 10. We'll see. But when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau his older son and said to him, My son, he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord, before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. Okay, so here it is. She's like, okay, Esau's going to do this. Okay, Jacob, go get food. I'm going to prepare it for you to bring to your father so that he can bless you before he dies. It's, Kind of sounds to me like she's setting up a deception, right? Because she's doing the swap. And then as we continue on in the story, in verse 11, Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I'm a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she prepared into the hands of her son Jacob. So he went into his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Okay, so now I'm going to pause. Okay, so this is the whole setup, right? So she says, listen to me, obey my voice. You're going to do these things and you're going to go in, you're going to receive a blessing. And Jacob expresses some hesitance, but she's like, hey, no, go in and do it. If you're going to get cursed, it's going to be on me. Okay, don't worry about it. So then if we were to fast forward, and we don't actually have the verses up here, if we were to fast forward, after everything goes down and Jacob goes in and he gets the blessing, in Esau's place, he gets Esau's blessing. And now Esau wants to kill him. Okay? So Rebekah becomes aware of it. And this is in Genesis 27, 42. When Rebekah was told of the words of her older son Esau, she sent and summoned Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau is consoling himself regarding you to kill you. So now, my son, heed my voice and arise. Flee to my brother Laban, to Haran, and re remain with him a short while until your brother's wrath subsides, until your brother's against you subsides, and he forgets what you have done to him. That sounds interesting. Why would she say, go and flee until he forgets what you have done to him? Shouldn't it be more like, until he forgets what we have done to him? Or what I told you to go do to him? 
how come Rebecca isn't bearing any of the blame? I mean, is she just like, well, too bad for you, you know, too bad the curse is on you. <laughs> this is the exact opposite of what she was, well, not the exact opposite because it's not a curse that he received, but now the anger of his brother is a direct result of his behavior going in and stealing the blessing. So then Rebecca, though, sees herself as not being guilty of any kind of conspiracy. And so could it be that she actually had no intention for him to go in and to deceive Isaac? Hmm. Okay, so if we go back and we were to go back to the scriptures that we read a little bit earlier. And what happens here in this, these last few verses, when, when she says, go to the flock, prepare two young goats, so I may prepare them as delicious food. And she says, you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. It doesn't say so that he may give you Esau's blessing before he dies. Instead, he's going to die and he's going, he wants to bless before he dies. Well, surely there is more than one blessing. Perhaps, right? This is a question. Is, is there more than one blessing? Because there was more than one blessing when it came to Ishmael and Isaac, right? Because Isaac was the one who received the blessing as the firstborn, the one who was given the promises of the covenant, the one who would have the land and the people. And Abraham said, but what about Ishmael? And God says, I've heard you and I will bless him and I will make him into nations, right? So there were, there were two blessings from the aspect of it wasn't limited to one person receiving a blessing. So Rebecca is thinking, well, there's more than one blessing. You should receive a blessing too from your father. Now go, he said that he, he's, one of the things he said to Esau is, go make me food so that I may eat and then I may bless you. Okay, well, then here, let's make food for you to bring to your father so that he may eat and he may bless you. There's no, there's no indication here that she's saying that you can take Esau's blessing from him. Okay, then... Look at Jacob's response. Jacob doesn't seem to see it as a deception either. Well, he says, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I'm a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. That I would seem to be mocking him. And in the, in the Hebrew it says, within, as if it would appear before his, in his eyes that I am mocking him. So Jacob, he's not saying, and he will recognize that I am deceiving him or that I am mocking him, but it will seem in my father's eyes that I am. And so then you start to say, well, what's going on here? So if Rebecca isn't thinking, let's go deceive your father, and Jacob isn't thinking, let me go deceive my father, what is the conflict? Like, why is Jacob concerned here? And I think it goes back to the names. Esau, its root like its base root word is a doer, Esau, to do, or he did. Okay, so then Esau is a form of that in a way, or its root is a doer, one who's complete, one who's a doer, one who's of the field, who goes out, who hunts, who prepares the game and makes things, right? And then you have Jacob, who is sitting in tent. He's studious, he's spiritual, but Esau, he's the doer. And Jacob says, well, am I really a doer? Or am I just the smooth-skinned one who grasps potentially the supplanter, deceiver? Can I really be the doer? And that becomes, 
if I go and I act as, as, and I act as the doer, am I going to just seem to be a joker in my father's eyes such that instead of being blessed, I receive a curse? Hmm. So I've, I've, there's a prospect of an identity crisis here. We're saying, can I really do it? And then you look at how it's set up and you say, wow, that was kind of an Ill, ill-conceived plan, right? Because Rebecca's saying, go and show that you're a doer, but let me prepare the food for you. Even though back when he was in his teenage years, he had prepared the lentil stew for himself and his father during their time of mourning. And so now she's saying, let me, let me prepare this for you. Now you go and you make your case for you receiving a blessing from your father. Right? And so now he goes in and says, okay, I'll do this. Of course, she's listening to him. And one of the things Rabbi Foreman says, he says, whenever you read your, these stories, we often read them with knowing how it's going to turn out. And so that influences our perception of things. And if we were to stop and say, look, I don't know how it's going to go, but let's, let's look at this plan, right? If it really is a deception and Rebecca says, okay, go in and act like your brother. I mean, your father, he's kind of blind or he is blind. He won't really know. I mean, sure. You know, your brother's hairy and you're not, and you're not him, but, you know, you can go in and deceive him. And what are the chances that Jacob can really go in there and pull this off? You wouldn't give it high odds, right? It sounds like a really bad plan. And if she really is intending this to be a deception with really low odds, why would she say that your curse will be on me if anything goes wrong? It's like almost asking for a guaranteed curse. So it's, it's almost not sensical to think that they went in with the intention to deceive, but they ended up going into full, actually I say they, Jacob ended up walking in deception, even if he didn't intend to from the beginning. And uh, with regard to the garments, um, you know, he says, look, I'm, I'm smooth skinned. And she says, okay, you don't feel like a doer? Well, you'll dress the part of a doer. Let's, let's dress you as though you're one who is the doer. So put on Esau's clothes and then cover up the smoothness and the feelings of inadequacy and go and just do this thing. Okay? Yes? Just real quick. Um, could this have something to do with the fact that Esau sold his birthright? So would that not make a reason why this was all done? Um, so Esau did sell his birthright, and the Scripture says he despised his birthright. But the blessing is different than, than the birthright. And one thing uh, that we'll note here too is the blessing that Esau receives or that he was to receive is not the blessing of the covenant, interestingly enough. So this is, this is a key part to understanding too of what was really happening here and even explaining what's, what we're going to see in a couple of, of portions. Um, so you remember the blessing that God gave to Abraham and then passed on to Isaac was that he would have land and that he would have a people, right? There was the promise of people and land and the covenant. But when, I, when Jacob receives this blessing in Esau's stead, there is no promise of land. There is no promise of that people and the covenant. That actually comes later in the portion right before Isaac leaves and right before Jacob leaves and goes up to Laban, okay? Um, and, and so that, that is important and it's a, it's a good question. But the blessing, um, 
and the birthright aren't necessarily connected. Even we see that with Judah, or, uh, Judah and Joseph, right? So the blessing was on Joseph. Uh, actually, wait. The kingship was on Judah, and the birthright was on Joseph, right? So those those can be separated, and and uh, we see that here. But okay, so let's say if this theory is right, that Rebecca did not see herself as being culpable because she didn't intend for him to go in and deceive and that Jacob didn't go in with the intention of deceiving, but now he's going in before his father and he's in a high pressure situation. Who am I? What's my identity? And am I really a mocker? And now he's in a high stress situation. He comes into his father and this is in... Genesis 27, 18. Okay, he came to his father and said, Father, he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? And I think that's, that's, a, that's the second part of, you know, I'm talking about becoming being a central theme. The question of who are you? Right? Who are you? Your name is this, but what, who are you? What is your real identity? Now, that's just, I'm kind of reading that into here. But he comes and he says, Father, his father says, here I am. Who are you, my son? So he knows he's his son. But who are you? And Jacob says, it is I, Esau, your firstborn. Now, here's the thing. He says this. And in the scripture, um, in, in the Hebrew, it can be read in another way, if you will. So he says, Anochi. Esav Bechorecha. Okay, so he's saying, he, in one way he could be saying, I am Esau, your firstborn. Or he could be answering the question of, who are you, my son? I am. Esau is your firstborn. So it depends on how did he say it. Did he say it, I am Esau, your firstborn? Or I am your son. Esau is your firstborn. So that's, that's a question. So has the plan gone wrong yet? I'm not sure. But he then immediately says, I've done as you told me. Rise up, please. Sit and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. Well, now he's moving into the, this, this sounds like you're presenting yourself for sure as Esau, as opposed to presenting yourself as Jacob, one who deserves a blessing, one who ha is asking for you to bless him. All right, so then we continue on. And Isaac said to his son, How is it that you were so quick to find my son? And he said, Because the Lord your God arranged it for me. And Isaac said to Jacob, Come come close, if you please, so I can feel you, my son. Are you indeed my son Esau or not? So Jacob drew close to Isaac, his father, who felt him, and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are Esau's hands. But he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like the hands of Esau, his brother. So he blessed him. And he said, you are indeed my son Esau. And he said, I am. It's like, so now, we, now there's no confusing the matter. Even if when he said, I am, Esau is your firstborn, now he's gone full bore into, I am your son Esau. Now, we could argue and say, well, he's trying to say, I am a doer. But he's saying, I am, he just said, it's, that's some evasive statements, okay? <laughs> and so... So he's moved into deception. And the, the thing is, when he moved into deception, even like, okay, so if we're going with the premise that he did not intend to go in and deceive, but instead went in to say, look, I'm more than Jacob. I am a doer. And I'm asking for your blessing. 
when he got in there in the high-stress situation and he's answering his father and he feels like he's a mocker, under that pressure, what came forth was the one who would move in deception and not in a straightforward manner, but one who said, okay, I am. And, and then as he went on, he went fully into the mode of, yeah, I'm Esau, bless me. Right? And, and so he said, serve me and let me eat of my son's game that my soul may bless you. So he served him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come close if you please and kiss me, my son. So he drew close and kissed him. He smelled the fragrance of his garments and he blessed him. And he said, see, the fragrance of my son is like the fragrance of a field which the Lord had blessed. And then he says, may God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you. Wait, actually, I'm sorry. Am I on the right one? Yes, okay. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Okay, so if you note here in these verses, he says, May he give you of the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Okay, so within this, he's not giving the promises of the covenant of the land or the people, like the offspring of the covenant. Instead, he's the blessing that he was going to give to Esau was one of wealth and prosperity and even of uh, power and rulership, right? But that's not the same as the blessings of the covenant, which we see later given to Isaac in Genesis 28 and to, to Jacob. And, and uh, did it again. One of these times I'm going to get it right, okay? But you may have to come back next year for that. <laughs> okay, so Genesis 28. And uh, so this is after, after the deception, after Esau has come in and received his blessing. And then after Rachel, Rebecca has told him, <laughs> oh goodness, this isn't going to end, is it? Um, <laughs> after, after, he has, after Rebecca has said, no, you need to go to my brother and, and find a wife and hide so Isaac calls to Jacob, and he blesses him and directs him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Paran Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Here is where the blessing of the covenant was given to Isaac. And so the question became to Jacob. Thank you. Okay, man. Okay, Isaac gave the blessing to Jacob that, that was the passing down of the covenantal blessings right here. Whereas the blessing that he gave to Esau was not this covenantal, or that he intended to give to Esau, that he gave to Jacob, right? Unintentionally. It appears that Isaac had two blessings to give, one to Esau and one to Jacob. The one to Esau would be a blessing that would be comparable to one that was given to Ishmael. The blessing to Jacob being the one that was the blessing that had been given to him of the land and the people and the covenant. Okay? So, 
It's a fascinating thought, right? Of We look at this, and you can read the story in many different angles, right? And, and trying to understand what's really taking place. But there's, there's a lot that lends itself toward the idea, both in, in this and what we see going forward, that, that this deception was not a scheme that, that Rebecca planned out from the beginning, but rather Jacob erred when he went in before his father and ended up deceiving him and receiving a blessing that was not ever intended to be his. But yet, just as Isaac had said, well, he, I blessed him and he will remain blessed. He's like, that's, that's going to be the case. And Esau comes in and he wails. He lets out a bitter cry, you know, and, and he says, isn't it right? Wasn't he rightly called Jacob? You know, and he has deceived me these two times. And so essentially it's like, okay, his father had called him Jacob. Now he's actually walking in the footsteps of Jacob. In that, in that he, he actually walked in the ways of a deceiver at this point in his life. And then the repercussions of this echo through the history of the Jewish people, right? Because even as Jacob goes up and sees Laban, next week we'll talk about how Laban deceived him. And he was now getting measure for measure deception. And then uh, he comes down and later on his son Joseph is sold into slavery. And you again have a deception where his sons come and present a bloody garment and say, is this yours? And so this echoes down. It actually ultimately leads to the exile where the, the deception is played out over and over again. But the, the thing about this is that even though Jacob had walked in deception of his father, that wasn't the end. It was, a, it was a defining moment, but that was not the end of where Jacob would end up because then he had to go on a path of learning maturity and learning how to no longer walk as one who was going around or you know, not walking straight and becoming the man of truth that Rebekah had seen in him right? And was calling forth. So, you know, sometimes when we look at the story, we say, okay, well, it was necessary that he go and deceive his father so that he would get the blessing, right? Because he was the chosen, the chosen seed who would carry on the name. But when we recognize there were two blessings, one, the one that was intended for Esau and one that was intended for Jacob, we can see that it wasn't actually necessary for him to actually get Esau's blessing, that that blessing was not the covenantal blessing. And then if we fast forward, after Jacob has gone forward and he's been deceived by Laban, he's received his wife's, he's had most of his children, and he comes back to the land because God tells him to come back. He sends word to Esau saying, I'm coming back to the land. Now, he didn't have to do that. Right? He could have said, well, he's out in Mount, Mount Seir. I'm just not going to go anywhere near that. I'm just going to go back and see mom and dad, and I'm just going to try to lay low. But instead he says, no, I'm going to face this head on. I'm not going around. I'm going to go, and I'm going to meet my brother straight on. And then when he does, and he hears that Esau is coming, he begins to send gifts ahead of him to his brother. So this is in Genesis 33, and of course we'll come to this in a couple of weeks. 
But Jacob lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants, and he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. Now, it's interesting, right? Because he's sending gifts ahead of him to Esau, saying, these are for my Lord. Your servant is on the way. And now, as Jacob's coming up to Esau, he's bowing down before him. So he's actually giving back to Esau part of the blessing. And actually, he does more than give back part of the blessing. He ends up all the blessing given that should have been Esau's, Jacob is giving back to him as they're coming back together. He's saying, look, of the wealth and the fatness of the land, here, here are these droves of cattle coming before you. These are for, for you. And then I'm bowing down before you just as the blessing was given. In fact, I'm going to read that again. Um, from, uh, from Genesis 25. Nope, it's not 25, sorry, 27. Um, when the blessing was given to Jacob that was intended for Esau, he says, May God give you the dew of the heavens and the fatness of the earth and abundant grain and wine. Peoples will serve you and regimes will prostrate themselves to you. Okay, your mother's sons will prostrate themselves to you. So now here, as Jacob is prostrating himself to Esau, he's saying, I'm giving you that. I'm giving you the fatness of the earth and all these things. And when, they, when he comes to them, Esau runs toward him and braces him, falls on his neck and kisses him. And they wept. And then as they, as they spoke, in verse 8, he asked, What did you intend by the whole camp that I met? And he answered, To gain favor in my Lord's eyes. And Esau says, I have plenty. My brother, let what you have remain yours. But Jacob says, No, I beg of you. If I have found favor in your eyes, accept my tribute from me. Right? Please accept my gift, which was brought to you. So he's saying, no, please, please receive the blessing that you were intended to receive. So he's making right what he had done wrong, returning that aspect. He didn't return. He didn't say you're going to be Lord over me as with regard to the covenant or take back the promise of the land or anything else. But he was making reconciliation with his brother. And the two of them were able to reconcile in this moment. I didn't mean they had peace the rest of their lives, but they were reconciling. And what Jacob was doing is he was saying, I'm not walking in the roundabout way. I'm walking head on in my new identity. And I'm going to come back and I'm going to seek to make right what I had made wrong. I'm not the deceiver. I'm the one who has wrestled with my, with my identity. I have overcome that, that name of Jacob. And now I'm one who's striven with God and with man, and I'm walking in this new identity, walking as a man of truth, one who is a peacemaker, right? Yeshua says, blesses the peacemakers, right? And so that's what Jacob was doing when he comes back. He'd found a new way, he'd found a new identity, and was going to walk in it. And so really for these, from the time that he leaves, and what we'll, what we'll read in the next two portions Jacob is getting measure for measure back for what he had done to his brother. But in that, he was finding how to walk in righteousness and truth. And then he was able to come and be the one who would be the father of the 12. Right? 
and be the one who comes in and inherits the land or begins to dwell on the land and ultimately have his offspring come up and receive it as their inheritance. But within, within the aspect of the becoming and overcoming an identity that you've walked in, I, I think about it in terms of each of us. You know, when we, uh, when we receive our new nature, when we come to faith in God and we trust in Him, we're made a new creation. And now we have to put to death the things of the flesh and walk in the things of the Spirit in our new identity. And that's a process that we walk through, right? We're given the Spirit, we're given the transformation, but now we have to bring the, the physical into alignment with the Spirit. And our new identity isn't always lined up with the way that our flesh is operating. And we come in with tendencies towards sin or identities that we've wrestled with in the past that maybe we feel like we can't shake or can't get hold of, or maybe we even rationalize and say, well, this is just the way I am. It's like, well, no, actually, that's, that may be the way that your flesh says you are, but the reality of who you are in the spirit and who God has called you to be is one to be an overcomer of that which has held you back, that which has kept you from coming forward into your potential that God has called you to be. And so we have to wrestle with that, just as Jacob wrestled all night, which that's a whole interesting story, too, that we'll talk about in a couple of weeks as to who it was that he wrestled with. But he was striving, and in a way, he was wrestling with himself to say, who am I? Am I really Jacob, or am I the man of truth? Who am I going to be? Right? And, and, and within that, there's a thing about this, okay? So he's received the blessing from his father. You know, he's had the blessing confirmed. And, and he's seen the fruit of it. He's received promises of God saying, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to provide for you. God's brought him back to the land. So he's got God. He's got his father, Isaac. And, but then there's still this thing of who am I? Am, I? am I going to believe who my father says I am, who God says I am? Or am I going to hold myself back? So there's a wrestle of that, of saying, are, am I just a mocker? Am I really just a deceiver, even in my own eyes? It's like, no, we have to break through and take hold of that which God has said and say, no, that is who I am. I can walk in this overcoming. I can walk in this person God has said I am. And that's really so many times what we see with Yeshua's interactions. Right? We, we talked a little bit earlier about how he would be with the, with the sinners and how he would call them forth to walking in faithfulness and say, go and sin no more. And even with Zacchaeus, right, the tax collector. Zacchaeus goes and he climbs up the tree and Yeshua says, come down. I'm going to come dine with you for salvation has come to your house. And Zacchaeus is like, what should I do? And Yeshua instructs him in righteousness so that he can go and walk in righteousness. And he gives him a new identity, gives him hope. And he says, your identity is a sinner tax collector? No, that's not what defines you. You're going to be defined by walking in righteousness and be, be defined as not being, yeah, being one who, who is not stuck in that place. So he calls him forward. And in Ephesians 4, that's what we see encouragement from Paul as well. Ephesians 4 
verses 22 through 24, Paul says, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Right? And, and I didn't include all the verses here, but you know, it's the aspect of laying aside the past and pressing forward into what lies ahead and what God has given us to be. And I'll, I'll continue on from that. In verse 25, he says, Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. Let him who steals steal no longer, but rather let him labor, performing with his hands what is good, in order that he may have something to share with him who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word that is good for edification according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Right? He's saying, become what God has created you to be. Lay aside all that stuff, who you were in your former life, and become complete in righteousness. And as I said before, it becomes a, it's a lifelong journey of refinement, of renewal, right? And there are times when we're going along and saying, you know what, I don't, I don't agree with that identity. I'm moving on from that. But yet when, we, when the pressure comes, we stumble and we fall, right? Just as Jacob did. But the question is, what are we going to do from that point? Are we going to say, well, I'm just never going to win this battle? Are we going to stand up and move forward and say, no, I'm going to walk forward into being a man of truth? That's what David did. He said, look, I've sinned, but I'm going to lay myself before the Lord and I'm going to repent and ask God to come and create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. So David, even in all his failures, was still a man after God's own heart. Jacob, even in his failures, was able to move forward as a man of truth and righteousness we too can move forward beyond that which has held us back. And you know, I mentioned earlier about Tom and Tamim and the teaching from the Zohar about it. And it's, what they describe in it is that the reason why Jacob was described as Tamim, but Abraham as Tamim, he was called Tamim before the covenant of circumcision. So the difference between Tamim and Tom was the circumcision. And so Jacob uh, being more complete in that aspect. Now, I'm sure there's good reasoning behind it and all, but when I think about what's the, what's the real deal there with the circumcision? Well, the circumcision is removing a barrier. Removing a barrier. And so when... In, the, in Deuteronomy, when Moses says, circumcise the foreskin of your heart, he's removed the barrier of your heart that you may move forward in wholeness with God, right? And so there's an aspect of Jacob removing the barriers that held him back such that he could move forward in wholeness, right? So he was a man who was Tom. He was a man who was complete and whole. And then with God coming and working with him, brought him into truth. 
but he had to remove those barriers that would hold him back from wholeness with God. He had to overcome them. And that's our call, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we've been called, to move forward in righteousness, to lay aside the flesh and say, God, who do you say I am? So just like when his father said, who are you, my son? God says it to you too. Who are you, my son? Who are you, my daughter? He says, you are my son. You are my daughter. But who are you? Are you, you are who I say you are. Now let that be your identity and let you take hold of it and now walk forward in that identity. Amen. Okay, praise God. Do anybody have anything that you wanted to share? Oh, sorry. In Genesis 28, verse 1, um, a, a little before this, um, uh, Jacob's mother has found out a way to save face because she's sending him away to safety, but it's auspiciously to get a wife because she doesn't want... Um, uh, she doesn't want... Uh, am I, am I in looking at the wrong thing here? Well, uh, Genesis 28, that's right. This is the part where she... Well, I guess it's the result of her saying, uh, you know, don't let Jacob take a wife from the daughters of Heth. Right, so she's sending him away, but before he goes, um, doesn't he? Doesn't Isaac, when he calls him, doesn't he give him a blessing, mm-hmm. uh, and says, in from from three to verse um, four, three and four. Uh, let's see, just a minute. Um, then he's telling telling him that he asking God to bless him, make him fruitful and multiply that you may be an assembly of peoples and give you the blessings of Abraham to you and your descendants with you, that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. Is not, that not passing on that blessing that um, God gave to Abraham and then Isaac? So he is passing on the blessing of what was given to Abraham in the beginning. Or yes. am I wrong? No, you're, you're absolutely right. Oh, that, okay. that, 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 that's a key aspect of the two blessings. Okay. Like that, that, this blessing that he gave to Jacob was actually potentially what he intended to give to Jacob all along. And that when he told Esau to go and prepare meat, that he was going to bless him, that the blessing okay. he was going to give to Esau was a different blessing. It was oh, not this gotcha. blessing of the covenant. Okay. And so, and if, if he had intended to give Esau the blessing of the covenant, then the blessing he would have given during the deception would have been these okay. words. But instead, the blessing in the deception was you're going to have wealth and you're going to have power or, you know, dominion, rulership. But it wasn't you're going to have the covenant of Abraham and the promises given to him of the land and the people. Okay. Here is where that was given. Okay. Yep. And so, so Isaac ended up with, I mean, Jacob ended up with both blessings, yeah. the blessing intended for Esau and the blessing intended for him. And then two portions from now when he's coming back he's saying I shouldn't have had your blessing here you have the fruits of that blessing I still have the blessing of the covenant that was given but Esau this was your rightful blessing and I'm going to give what I can back to you to make restoration for what I wrongly took okay. yeah. and, and in fact even when, when Esau asks for a blessing he says don't you have a blessing for me the blessing he receives from Isaac is 
has some of the same elements of the blessing that was given during the deception. Um, but, it, but it's not exactly the same. Right? Yes, absolutely. But that, that's, a, that's a key aspect to the argument that the deception was not necessary for Jacob to have received the blessing of the covenant because it wasn't given at the deception. It was given at this time before he was sent out. Yes, absolutely. A perfect example. I'll have to repeat that for those online. It's a perfect example of people trying to do and take on their own to accomplish what God has set out. Now, the interesting thing about that, and I, I didn't really talk about this, is, you know, sometimes people say, well, you know, uh, Rebecca had the promise that the older shall serve the younger. You know, she had the prophecy. And so that justifies her moving forward and doing this because the word of the Lord needed to be fulfilled. It's like, well, the ends don't justify the means. You can't move in unrighteousness to try to accomplish a righteous thing. And God does not need your unrighteousness to fulfill his good and perfect will. <laughs> right? And so that ends up not, it becomes a, kind of a, uh, just a, a wrong premise, right? To think that it was necessary. Um, and so, and then too, the other thing is, to believe that, you had to believe that she was so confident that she understood this prophecy that she'd be willing to move in it and then be willing to take on the curse to accomplish it. When you look at the, the, prophet, or the, the word that was given, it was the greater shall serve the lesser. It wasn't that the older shall serve the younger, or the younger shall, yeah, the older shall serve the younger. It could have been read that way, but it's, it's not, uh, uh, it doesn't actually use the words for older or lesser. It's the greater and the fewer within the Hebrew. So, um, it can, I mean, it's, it's not a, it is a valid interpretation to say the older shall serve the younger. Um, but again, it's more in, written in a riddle as opposed to in a direct, here's exactly how it's going to work, if that makes sense. But, you know, and as you said, when people take things in their own hand, you have the same thing with uh, Sarah taking Hagar and giving her to Abraham. And Abraham saying, okay, well, perhaps my offspring will come through this. It's like, that was not God's intention. Um, he had a different plan that he was going to fulfill. And so, right, yeah, so you look at all the trouble that came. Now, there's a good thing when we go and we seek to go forward in righteousness and listen to the Lord and walk with him as he's doing things. So we get, do get to partner with him. But there's times we can go out and say, well, I don't know how, this, God, I don't know how you're going to make this work, so I better do this to make it work. It's like, well, that's not, that, that may end you in trouble. So we want to follow the Lord's lead and let his timing be perfect in that. Yeah. And his way be perfect and walk in righteousness. Amen. Anyone else? All right. Well, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us a new identity through Yeshua, our Messiah. Lord, that you have called us as your own. You call us son and daughter and you ask, who are you? Lord, I ask you to show us how you see us, who you've called us to be. Lord, that we would be overcomers, that we would lay aside the old self and we would walk in alignment with your word along with the identity that you have given us. Lord, that we would walk in righteousness, that we'd be transformed by the renewing of our minds and your spirit. Strengthen us and bless us 
Help us to be reconcilers and to walk in truth and in a straight path. Lord, we bless you and thank you in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas. Thank you.